Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just a typical Spike. On the line with me, my executive producer and guitar playing extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Cameron, I didn't mention this in the pre-show. I got recommended one of your YouTube videos, and I didn't know it was you because I didn't like watch you the videos by. And I think I've told you this. Like sometimes I'll just watch like because I'm musically illiterate, so I get very fascinated by people playing instruments. And I was like, oh, a guitar video. It wasn't until a few seconds in that I realized, oh, that's Cameron. <laughs> I posted a video a while back. Yeah, it was super good. It was very chill. I was having a really rough day at work, so thank you for putting that out into the ether, man. Uh-huh. It was like, <laughs> seriously, it was really <laughs> relaxing and chill. I was like, right. you know, it's one of those things. When you put stuff out, sometimes you don't realize, like, if anybody, like, we know people download the show and listen, and sometimes we get feedback, and sometimes we don't, you know, but it's like you put something out. And I thought, well, if I leave a comment, that will kind of suck. So why don't I em- embarrass Cameron at the beginning of the show? So is it I working? I <laughs> <laughs> so I've been, had a you, couple coworkers do the same thing, so whatever. <laughs> nice, nice, man. But, like, you've been really digging into the guitar playing lately, huh? Yeah. It's a, it's a nice relaxation, just distraction from... You know, everyday life. It's good. It's good. I wish I didn't hate myself so much, and maybe I could enjoy something like that. But unfortunately, <laughs> all my hobbies have to enjoy have to be some form of self loathing. You know, that's just yeah. Or Ninja Turtles. It's all good. I mean, <laughs> you you say potato, I say potato. Anyway, Cameron, we've got a band cast, and mm. I do I do want to talk about this stuff. Um probably just intermingle with the news or whatever. Um, but I don't I don't want to let the 30th magic thing go. I, I went back and listened to last week's episode. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've listened to other people's takes, and I think a lot more people maybe agreed with us than we initially had thought. Maybe we had just, mm-hmm. you know, the internet had lined up in such a way that we had heard so maybe more positive or more giving Watsy credit. But I just want to say before we get to the episode... Um, a, thank you for bearing with me that last week. Uh, my anger has not died down <laughs> one iota. I'm I like still, <laughs> it's I'm still really raw about it. So I'm, I apologize if it comes up again and I go on another tangent. I'm just getting that out of the way. I'm here for that, dude. And I think a lot of our audience is too. <laughs> yeah, like it's terrible. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's just not something that's it's left a real aftertaste is what I'm trying to mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to the point at which it kind of affected my real like positive engagement with Magic this week. And usually after a ban, I, I hit things pretty hard. But I still had like two, three days where I really struggled to kind of get back on the horse. So Mean Hook Massacre was banned in Standard. I think that's where we should start because we probably both played some Standard on MT mm-hmm. or on Arena. So I want to hear your take, man. Like... Uh, what for you is different now that Meat Hook Massacre's gone? Uh you know, not a lot. It, it was a it came as a surprise. Um you know, and after it had been banned, I think we talked a little bit. It is a little bit of an engine, especially with like that combination of other black cards that are really, really, really powerful. Um I would love to say just in my play experience that it's changed the format but i feel like everything is still sadly very much the same (laughs) so yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, I um, my 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 takeaway is mono red got better, mono yeah. white got better, but like four, five, six percent better. You know, like mm-hmm. not nothing, but nothing earth shattering. Like I think it probably affected Esper mid range more than these other decks, and Esper mid range is still probably the second best deck. Um, it depends on the metrics you look at, but those the, that tends to vacillate between Esper and Grixis mid range. Cameron, I went on the nastiest losing streak trying to play a bunch of other decks that did not include black. Mm-hmm. I put it as a challenge to myself. First of all, I played the five-color Kami War deck. I don't know if you've seen this. I, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but that is legitimately one of the worst standard decks I've ever played in my <laughs> entire life. I cannot believe anyone has ever won a match with this deck. I got steamrolled steam rolled mm-hmm. and when you get the payoff the kami war payoff doesn't seem to do enough against a lot of these decks and the same problem tell me if you've heard this one before if they're a black mid-range deck they put more pressure on you and they've drawn more cards than you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they have the ability to counter your spells so yeah that deck was terrible i tried to play just sky standard that was also just a complete yeah. dumpster fire and lo and behold, I switched to a version of Esper that's got four invoke, despair, and all, all of a sudden, suddenly I'm winning matches, right? Um, so this ban, I, I would put it to you like this. I don't think it actually changed things enough. I think it was a really safe ban to kind of like test the water, and I didn't hate it. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, I actively really hate this standard. I just think it's something about the play style of it. Mm -hmm. But I find myself scooping early all the time. And I don't know if that's just out of frustration, but there's times where they're like, hey, turn two, Tenacious Underdog, turn three, Rafine. And I'm like, tap land on turn three. Like, this game is over. Over, over, over. yeah. So, anyway, I see that you've been messing around. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I would just say I wish that they would have addressed a couple other cards, maybe. Specifically, Blood Tide Harvester. I mean, two mana, three, two body with so much upside. Like, I feel like that card is like actually legit what's making Black Red, Jund, all these other decks legit great. Um, I mean, maybe Mono Black has some other things as well, but like, to me, it's the black-red matchups that are still just, like, the exact same play pattern. It You know, you're just getting to that turn six to invoke despair, and away we go. Um, I don't know. To me, that's—I I would love to have seen, I guess, if we're going to shake up standard like this, Meat Hook Massacre is just maybe a super small, like, sliver in, like, this giant other issue that seems to exist in standard. Yeah, a, a few things with that. Also, I will point out that maybe Meat Hook Massacre is c- incredibly obnoxious in paper. It sh- certainly feels like it would be, sure. um, but I hadn't actually played against it in paper, to be honest. Um, I think it's pretty telling that you could come up with like four or five cards that should be banned, and yeah. almost all of them are black, save one, which I would argue is currently the best card in Standard, which is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yep. That card leads to 
like again, if they play that on turn three and you have no play on turn three, you're effectively done. Mm-hmm. Like that card generates way too much value for three mana. And weirdly, Meat Hook Massacre is one of the things that could actually answer it. Um, now they would still get feasibly two treasure tokens and a draw two discard two in the meantime, mm-hmm. but you could kill both of their things with it, right? So I paint a picture of Explorer for me here, Cameron, because it says you've also been playing Explorer. Yeah. What have you been up to there? So I've actually played Esper in Explorer. So like I am just putting in a few cards that are like the choice black cards that you should be putting in an Esper list. So this is my blue list, blue white list that is now splashing black uh, for Fatal Push, Vanishing, Vanishing Verse, Thoughtseize, and then one Shieldred. Um, and honestly, those cards do make, I, I think it, the benefits of like going to that three colors outweigh the negatives of just sticking with a blue white list. I think blue white is still very playable and it's still a very, very good choice, but just like to spice it up. I don't know. Like I, I had a really good time. Thoughtseize, it's Thoughtseize, incredible on turns one and two. Late game, it's like the worst draw you could possibly ever have. Um, Vanishing Verse is just like this great catch-all like that works so well and it's just really, really good. Um, Fatal Push, you know, it's Fatal Push. And then Shieldred is like, once again, just like this all-star of a card. Even if it's only on the battlefield for like one full turn, well, I mean, like that's fine. Like I've, I've probably netted four difference in life and that's that can be huge and they have to waste another resource on it when i'm playing to fairies as well right so like to me it just seems like a great fit it's not like maybe like classic sphinx's revelation type decks where you're just playing like that one incredible creature singleton card but like for an esper list i'm fine just running this in my 60 and you know Sometimes getting a two for one. Yeah, I would also point out that like with Shieldred, it's the ultimate post-board control card. Because mm. most of them are just not going to leave in a ton of removal. And really, a Shieldred, if you just leave it on the battlefield for two turns, like that's going to make a huge, huge difference. Um, and surely the mana supports this pretty well now, right? Yeah. Because you have yeah. that the after turn two lands that really probably make a huge difference in those decks. Uh, what are your card draw engines? Do you just play like uh, Memory Deluge or what do you play? Memory Deluge is what I'm playing right now just because it puts them in your hand rather than draws. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, and then, yeah, I have a couple like different cycling lands in there as well that I can use a Shark Typhoon, you know, like that sort of thing if I need it. So those are those are really like the the ones that I'm using. I mean, it would be great if there was something a little bit better, um, like a one-mana ponder, preordain, or something like that. I would love to kind of see something like that, but I don't think we're ever going to get that. Um, right now, you'd even you'd even go for a Serum Visions, huh? I would, I would go for a Serum Visions, yeah. I mean, Opt is out there, but that tends to not be what yeah, you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does say... Uh, so, we have... so. Yorian is banned in Modern. I've played against that deck when I went to that RCQ. Um, 
look, I think we can all just agree that the companion mechanic was a complete abomination. And uh, the sooner they ban the mechanic, the better off we'll be. Yep. Yep. Here's the bummer, though. I feel this way with Yorian. So I wish they would just ban the companion mechanic because banning Yorian also means he just can't be in your main deck. And, like, if you're playing a blink deck and he's just in your deck, it seems like that would be, I mean, it's probably not good enough for modern, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it just uh, seems yeah. really inelegant. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm just not fine with it being, like, a free card, right? Like, that's, I think, where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you could make the argument that the card does say companion, so maybe, whatever. Whatever. Um, what, what a disaster that whole thing has been. Uh, but as a consequence, I've played Yorian a lot in Explorer, and surprise, it's really good. Um, probably just going to get some mileage out of that while I can. Last thing I want to mention is Canadian Highlander, so you're yes. still chasing that, huh? Yeah, so this was, oh gosh, it's been a couple of weeks ago now that I went to, and I've, I, I played... It was like three weeks ago, I think, and I played a Highlander deck. Absolutely fell in love with it. And so I just started building my own Highlander deck. Um, Curtis, I mean, I'm looking at like these Moxon and like, you know, there's no way I can ever afford to get one. Would, would I ever want to play with one of those? But like the beautiful thing about this is like, I don't need the Moxon. Yeah, sure. It would be great to have in it, but I can play like this Esper list. And it has just a singleton of, like, all the greatest hits of Legacy in those color combinations. And it's just incredible. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm kind of continuing with this and and going to check out a, an event here that's happening in two weeks. And, yeah, I, I expect to just have a good time just because, you know, there's low risk and I get to play with some just incredible cards and get to play against hopefully some, you know, just incredible decks. If you find that there is a storm list, Cameron, mm. I know a guy <laughs> who might be interested. I'd and love to see a singleton storm list. That would be amazing. I'm pretty sure it can be done. I mean, yeah. you'd have to be Grixis, um, and you'd have to go the full, like, hey, I'm playing Time Warp, I'm playing, mm -hmm. you know, all that. But, you know, hey, there's a reasonable excuse to play a time twister. Um, also, what's a time twister going to cost out of the the Magic Thirty Edition? You know, everybody's going to hate that product. That's Nobody's. True. Uh, and I'll I'll be able to pick up a time twister maybe for a I mean not a cheap price but cheaper than the real thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, especially I love if I'm this willing. Idea, by the way, I love it. Uh, especially if somebody is um, if it's a it's a new border time twister. I don't know a single person that would be in the market for that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if I'm if I'm understanding you right, if I'm hearing you correctly, and I think that I am, uh, this is a format in which a man can play Mana Drain, correct? It is. You've talked I mean, me into what it. What are we talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> think uh, of all that mana countering a, oh my gosh, anything. That would just be incredible. Dude. Mana drain on a force of will, a mana drain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any of it. Any of it. I'm interested. I'm there. Um, all right. So I want to throw this past you. I don't know if you have any awareness of Heritage MTG. Now, for those of you who don't know, like Heritage can kind of be a loaded term. <laughs> so 
just beware. We're talking about a format in Magic the Gathering that's being tried out by um, some people that are uh, well-known in the community. Um, uh, I think it's Mana Traders is the official sponsor. And then Mason Clark, who does a great job uh, hosting the uh, Constructive Criticism uh, prod- podcast. Um, he- he's an awesome player, too. He's really well-known for innovating the, the, uh, the Yorian deck in Modern. Um, so this is a form of Legacy Cameron in which you may not play anything from a supplemental product meaning every set has to be standard legal now a couple caveats with this um there are more cards on that list than you might first think things like toxic deluge um you know are things that really you are used to being in the format at some level and that are not um you know, so it's not just like you just think of True Name Nemesis and that's kind of it. Like mm-hmm. that, but there are other cards. Parasitic Strix is hmm. also one of those. So there, there are some cards that you think of maybe as legacy staples at the early stages of these experiments. Yeah, yeah. they were they were really well regarded and seen as additive to the legacy scene. The other the other thing I would say is the ban list is still the current ban list, which might see like on its face fine but there are things that those cards supported that got banned so like you might say for example and i'm not saying it should be unbanned but what i'm saying is oko you know is certainly supported by the fact that flusterstorm and uh force of negation and these other cards can kind of be around it right Mm -hmm. and it's like i don't really know what oko looks like in a much more generic meta maybe too good maybe too good but it's like it's very strange to to like wrap your head around that however the tournament results were very warped towards non-interactive combo decks um things like sneak and show storm whatever um first of all cameron how much do you love the idea of this format and second of all, doesn't have a chance where no reserveless legacy does did I mean failed. It just failed. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I love the idea of this format. I'm I we're in this world now where like I mean, legacy is dead and so whatever new thing we can do with some of these older magic cards, I'm totally down for. Uh yeah, I mean, it also it does just strike me as kind of interesting that certain decks might just be so oppressive because the supplementary product has actually kept them down for so long. That's really a fascinating thought experiment, I guess, as far as just like, you know, why is Legacy what it is now? Obviously, we see the current Modern Horizons, Modern Horizons 2 product and like how it warped and distorted Legacy. But like, I never think of like those other products doing that but obviously they have just maybe to a lesser extent over a longer span of time yeah and i would say that there's also like this is a very limited like tournament in terms of groups of people and you know a lot of people were lamenting like well you can't have control if you don't have card x y or z i think that's completely false because to build control you have to know like i would say both control and death and taxes slash maverick style decks you have to know exactly what the meta is to build yeah. those effectively. Like, in something like Toxic Deluge, well, really, yeah, you know, playing Meat Hook Massacre 
on one or two is pretty freaking good against combo elves at the same mana cost. Yeah. But you just have to work it differently. Or maybe there's another card. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's just not necessarily an explored space. And so I think when people are sleeving up like three, four color control, mostly bug because people are Uro's legal and obviously a very powerful card, people want to sleeve those things up, but then they're not really aware of what they're going to be facing. Where if history has taught us anything, sneak and show is a very beatable deck once you know that it's it, like it's out there and out to get you right yeah, absolutely. like yeah uh, it, it, it's not like miracles where that deck was gosh the best deck in legacy for three years or something outrageous um i think the reason that this has a better chance of being successful is because the average legacy dude is going to be more into it mm-hmm. like absolutely. you have to when you go to the group of legacy players that exist and say, hey, don't play with your underground seas or your lion's eye diamonds, I just don't think that flies. Um, whereas if you go, hey, you don't have to play with your true name nemesis or your council's judgment, they're like, Sign I hated up. those cards anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, I think this is a... Well, we're kind of keeping our thumb on it. It's a very, very small drop on in the bucket, but it's also worth pointing out that uh, this last week, and I just, it's not exactly dead, Cameron. It hasn't left us yet, but MTGO, MTGO has transitioned to another company um, who will now be running it, and they're going to prioritize some other things, so we'll see how that works out. Um chances that you'll log on to mtgo again um maybe once just uh you know give it a viking funeral set that maybe graphics one, card on fire yeah maybe one day we can go on and play canadian highlanders like those oh, decks have dude. to cost nothing <laughs> right they have to yeah i mean you can get some moxin <laughs> Dude, I remember I spent like 300 tickets on a Black Lotus when I played Vintage <laughs> for like a year. Um, wow. Wow. No right? regrets. Eh, some some regrets. <laughs> We're being real. Like, But I turned it into paper cards, yeah. so it was fine. Yeah. Should I have bought a, a, a Rolex when they were more affordable at that stage? <laughs> maybe. 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 Uh, yeah, no, or yeah. maybe just a lot of Bitcoins. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Then I wouldn't even be on the show, right? I'd be gone. I'd be... I'd be like Adrian Brody on Succession, living on some island, wearing a beanie, even though I'm on a tropical island. You know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> all right, Cameron. So, hey, let's get out of this segment, um, come back, and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron. So, what else you been up to this week? Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I... Nothing that would, I think, interest the audience other than um, finishing up She-Hulk, which overall I enjoyed. Um, it had kind of like a good breaking the fourth wall sort of ending um, that's very in keeping with like the She-Hulk comics of the 80s. And so I dug that. Uh, and then Andor. So I guess it's a Disney day, a Disney week. Let, let me throw this past you. I think the first six episodes is in the the ring of honor, the hall of fame, however you want to put it, 
I think it is one of the three best Star Wars things ever made. I think it is Empire, I think it is the original, and then I think it is the first six episodes of Andor. <laughs> like, I'm actually worried about this show because I think it can only, like, it can either reach obscene heights now mm-hmm. or completely crash and burn. Like, I almost, I would be fine if we just got a thing that said, hey, that was Andor. Those six episodes, I'd be like, all right, that was pretty amazing. I just cannot undersell to you how much I love this show, Cameron. It is so well made. It's so well thought out. It's so intense. And, like, I, it, it's got, so not to, not to talk too much about House of the Dragon as well, but, like, even House of the Dragon, which I think has been much better than I even expected, there's a thing that happens at the end of the most recent episode that makes basically no logical sense. And just kind of feels like, um, what? Why did that happen? Whereas Andor, like these first six episodes, like almost every single thing that happens or is caused by a character is caused for a reason. It's rational. And we're talking about a freaking space opera. Setting aside for a, f- for a second, which I do want you to speak to on how <laughs> unbelievable on a technical level this show is. The acting and writing has me just dumbfounded. This is so much better than any piece of Star Wars media I've consumed in in forever. Like, maybe ever. Maybe it's as well-written as... Imp- like, please tell me I'm being hyperbolic here, Cameron. Um, but, like, help me. Help me understand this. Can I make a... Make, may I lodge a complaint? Yeah. Here it is. You ready? Um, this show bums me out because... I'm never going to get a good Star Wars movie. <laughs> Explain. It, it, it's just, as you said, I mean, I'm not being like the hyperbole aside or whatever. Like it is just an incredibly well-written, well-acted, well-produced show. Like, I mean, it's better looking than so many other things. I mean, we can go on and on and on about like Boba Fett. And, and The Mandalorian, both of which had, like, I think, really strong things. And Obi-Wan had some really strong things. But at the end of the day, they still had, like, this TV element to them. And this mo- th- this this series, like, these little three-episode arcs that they seem to be doing, um, like, you're, you're getting essentially a two-and-a-half-hour movie and, like, these three-episode arcs. And they are every bit as good, as you said, as... Empire and the original episode four and I mean better than Empire Strikes Back. I mean, I mean, or you know, I'm not Empire Strikes Back, I'm sorry, but um Return of the Jedi. Anything along those lines. Like it's just it's it's so like you said, so well told. And like the action scenes felt like they had stakes, like the space scenes felt like they had stakes, like everything about it was just great. And I sat there watching that thinking like, I'm watching this at home on a Wednesday night on my TV and I will never have that experience again as much as I may have hated the prequels of just going to a midnight showing and like being a part of that sort of zeitgeist and I think that's what I mean by like I I feel like I'm losing something while I'm gaining so much more there's a part of me that's still just maybe a little sad that this is so good that it's like Kathleen Kennedy is going to go no, we're never making a movie again. Yeah, it's like it's like you do miss out on the cultural 
vibe of watching that with an audience. And there are, there are great you and I have both had these moments where we're sitting in a movie theater and you can tell that everyone in the theater is a hundred percent invested in what's going on. I remember the end of inception. Like I just mm-hmm. felt like the whole audience was just so locked in to what was going on in that movie. Hmm. And you know, you're not going to get that And star Wars. I think especially had a kind of crazy zany culture to it when you would go to the prequel midnight releases and stuff. And again, yeah. I want to be clear here. I really did not like the prequels, but I enjoyed going and being a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to paint it as I was just like in the corner, like with my arms crossed or whatever. Like, I had a great time. I just didn't love the movies. Um, and that's okay, right? It was still mm-hmm. a great celebration of the culture. And I mean, Cameron, you're going to have to like have to dress your wife up like Obi-Wan, maybe your cats. I don't know it's what true. you're going to have to do to get that experience. <laughs> But it's that's that's the only answer. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is something to like not watching this in a crowd, especially like I got done. I was blown away. I watched this at like five in the morning. I woke up early because I'm an old man. And sometimes you're like, oh, I can't sleep. I guess I better go watch something. Oh, Andor's posted. Sweet. Click. And I watch it. And I have literally no one to talk to about it afterwards. Right. Where it feels like part of the culture of our generation was going to, you know, Winstead's or Applebee's or whatever <laughs> after a movie and just decompressing yeah. the whole thing. And this was this is what people did before podcasts, children, <laughs> is we talked to each other about our experience. I know it's crazy. Um, and it just feels like that's missing a little bit when something is this mind-blowing. So unfortunately, I texted you at 6 a.m. <laughs> going, oh my goodness, this episode. <laughs> And then you promptly messaged me back, dude, I can't watch it for 10 hours. You're a jerk. <laughs> so um, sorry about that. Uh, but man, what, what, a, what a towering home run of a show. And I, if you were to tell me, hey, Lord of the Rings, House of the Dragon, Andor, which one is going to like rank those? Andor would 100% have been my bottom one. And I felt like I was too excited for it. Remember? Because I was mm-hmm. like... I love Rogue One. I love what this trailer is doing to me. I'm just such a mark for Rogue One. I'll totally be into it. Yeah. And this show is achieving the impossible. I think it's actually making Rogue One a better movie by itself. It's incredible. Right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Enough gushing. Watch the show. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah. I I can't agree more. It's... uh totally worth it <laughs> like i mean i'm not like you know like my my complaints are dumb like in drum found it because like as a product as what this stands for it's it's great and just go and watch it and uh maybe go on a find a friend and just talk about it <laughs> yeah last thing i'll mention here i think andor is the expression of how i saw han solo as a kid like a much more cutthroat, like they've really taken the edge off Han Solo over time, even more so like not just the shooting under the table thing, but just like Mm -hmm. everything posted. It's like, man, Cassian Andor is a dude. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you, you Mm -hmm. do not, he is a bad man. You do not want to get on the wrong side of him. And that makes it so intriguing. It's almost like, it's almost like Wolverine in the original X-Men kind of vibe, you know? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, I love that. I love that. So, 
All right, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and talk to you about why the prequels are, in fact, great and you're wrong, where could they find you? Please, all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week.